0: This is Utano Public Health Chats with your host Fiona and today I am very excited uh, for many reasons. The first reason is that this is our first live recording in person. Um, Most of my other episodes have been with people via Zoom, but today I'm in person because I am interviewing someone who is based in Rwanda like me as well. So I'm excited for that reason and I'm also excited to host a friend of mine who I have known for the past. years, (laughs) And a half years, <laughs> almost. So that's very exciting, and we work together, which is also an additional layer to just um, interview people who are in the same workspace as mine, and also a, fe- a fellow South African, <laughs> African. So that's also exciting. So so many similarities, um, but at-, at the same time, so different. So I'm so excited to learn from her. But I'm going to let her introduce herself. So um, Nana, do you want to go ahead and tell us a little bit? about yourself, where you're from, where you're based, what you do, and kind of like, you know, your version of why you think
1: um, you are being interviewed today. Thank you, Fiona. I'm really um, happy to be here with you today to share my public health story. My name is Nangandu Chizuka. I'm from Zambia and currently working in Rwanda. I am with a global health non-governmental organization. Much of the work that I'm involved in is implementing a cervical cancer secondary prevention program. So we are supporting the Ministry of Health to implement a cervical cancer prevention program in, in Rwanda.
0: Wow, I already have follow up questions. <laughs> we'll come back to this one, but definitely want to learn what you mean by secondary prevention program. But we'll get into that later. Uh, how long have you been doing this kind of work, Nana?
1: I have been working in the global health space for eleven years now. Wow. So for the for the first four five years, it wasn't just uh, public health, but a mix. Of other development projects, but most of them were around were around health. And then the last five years have been in the health space. In the health space. Okay, so you
0: kind of started with a gen- general development um, background and then moved specifically into health. Uh, is there any reason that happened, or that just kind of like happened because of the
1: opportunities that were around you, or ah, was it okay. intentional? That's that's very that's a very interesting question. So after graduating from university that was after my undergraduate studies, I went to work in an organization that focuses on the well-being of children, so this was in areas of health, water and sanitation, mm-hmm. education, food security and, and livelihood. So I remember the first day, I, this, this was in a rural community in, in Zambia. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first day I went into the community, the first challenge or the first problem I had to solve was a health problem. Mm-hmm. So we arrived at a health center and before we could even get out of the car, the health provi- uh, one of the health providers came running to the car with a baby and the woman. The woman was crying, she was hysterical, passing out. So we put her in the car and we- I had to go back to take the child to the district hospital. So we didn't mm-hmm. even get to do the work for that day. And I had to hold the baby because the woman was not in a state to hold her child so I was holding the baby mm-hmm. and when we arrived at the district hospital a nurse came to the cart to pick the child and before I could even get into the hospital to see what was going on they told us that the baby had died so I was actually mm-hmm. carrying a baby who was, I, who, who was dead, dead. Mm-hmm. yeah so I, had, I, I was thinking about a lot of things like what could we have done differently to save this child's life and on that same day We had to go back to the hospital in the evening to to take the child back to the village, to take the baby's body back to the village. And as we were driving out of the hospital, we met the father to the child. And I'm sitting there asking, why is the father only showing up now? So you see, there were so many questions. And this baby died of malaria. How does a child in this day and age, die of malaria. Why was the baby? The baby was two or three years old. So you you ask yourself questions. Mm -hmm. Is Mm -hmm. their house too far from the health facility? Was the health facility not able to provide the services? Didn't the parents know what was wrong with the child? So you know, you you have all those questions. And I went through that the the whole time this was going on. So I do feel like that in some way shaped my interests. Because I, I got to go through all the different aspects that, uh, that, that come in play when it comes to an individual's health. There were, there were decisions that should have been made that were not made. There were actions that should have been taken that had not been taken. So I would say that did play a role in shaping my interest. So despite the fact that I was doing work in different program areas, I was more interested in, in public health. So after that, I, I think it should have been maybe six or eight months into the first job, mm-hmm. I decided to do a master of science in public health promotion. So that was the beginning of wow. this journey.
0: Wow, so this happened okay in your first job basically out of your undergraduate. Yes. That's my when you had this job. experience and then afterwards you then were
1: like after this experience
0: and you're like I want to focus
1: more on health. Yeah and then in the organization they they did focus on they did pay attention to the interests that we had and they would give us work in relation to what you like doing so despite the fact that I was working in a program that was addressing all these different areas of development but I was recognized as one of those people that had an interest in health. Oh, okay. And I was very lucky. We had a lot of big SRMNH projects, health, nutrition, a lot mm. of these big projects. So I was involved in the designing, evaluating the project. So I was, I was in my own public health world.
0: <laughs> While working for a, yeah, well, yeah. a organization.
1: So at some point, I, I felt I needed to narrow down just to be just to expose myself to the public health space so i decided to to look for work in global health organizations
0: yeah wow that is wow that is so amazing oh my gosh that story really moved me you know that's oh that's so sad it's so sad and it's also just very i feel like a lot of people who work in health have similar experiences where you have that one like almost like jarring experience where you really encounter a failed public health system right yeah At it's absolutely like worst with like so many things have gone wrong that leads to this today and then that kind of like leads you to question so many other things so wow thank you for sharing that i wow i did not know that but that motivated you and now you're here and now yeah now i'm here now you're working in cervical cancer and doing secondary you said secondary prevention yes secondary program? prevention so what do you mean by that
1: so with cervical cancer we we have primary prevention which is if I'm making sure that you do not get the HPV which causes cervical cancer right okay but with secondary prevention this is where you are expecting that people have the HPV and you are now just preventing that HPV from causing yeah, from becoming cancerous. Okay. So that's so. This is where the screening comes in. The primary prevention would be immunizations, HPV oh, vaccinations. Okay. That's primary. So kind prevention. of like
0: okay. So kind of like how with COVID, like when we're when we washing our hands and wearing masks. That's primary. Primary prevention. Yeah. But when we're then getting screened to get tested for antigen testing. Would that be secondary prevention? Or maybe... It's a little different. Oh, no. What if when they ask... When they check our temperatures, is that secondary prevention or primary?
1: <laughs> kind of, right? Well, so it's kind the second of. level. Because yeah. you could already you have could had have, yeah, but COVID then at that point. You're preventing... Catching... Yeah. You're trying to prevent damage to the lungs, which is the fatal... Mm, yeah. The fatal
0: outcome. So it's kind of like a second level in prevention.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm, wow. So cool.
1: It could also be like taking for Right, yeah. because
0: in the long run that also prevents uh, when people know their status then that prevents them from getting the fatal outcome and spreading it to yeah. other people. So it's secondary yes. prevention. so with
1: the secondary uh, prevention of cervical cancer, it's where you, you're looking for women who actually have HPV mm-hmm. and then once you find that they have precancerous lesions, you treat them to reverse it, Mm -hmm. prevent them from getting into, becoming cancerous.
0: Is that, so would you, is that, do we call that a cure or is that a treatment?
1: It's a treatment of the precancerous lesions. Okay.
0: So at that point, the the woman hasn't gotten cervical cancer? No. Okay. They have, they have cancerous they have lesions that could potentially then be cancerous yes
1: they have lesions on the surface of the cervix Mm -hmm. so they have those cells the cancer cells have not started um, multiplying and becoming um, invasive okay
0: Okay, so you work in cervical cancer. Now we know what the goal is, which is preventing women from getting cervical cancer, and like the technology that's being introduced to do that. What does that look like for you in your like? Maybe describe like a day in your life, or maybe a week in your life. What does your typical, you know, like if I'm you know a high school kid, I'm trying to imagine, you know, what does working in public health look like? Can you describe for us (laughs) a day in the life?
1: Yeah. So that's. That's the interesting part. Uh-huh. So my work or my role on this program is monitoring and evaluation. So ideally, mm-hmm. my day would be making sure that the, the numbers are being reported and uh, someone sitting at the national level is able to look into those numbers mm-hmm. and to make sure that those numbers are being used to make decisions at different levels of the of the healthcare system, but also because I I have worked in different areas of public health. I have done community health. I have done um, training. I have done um, demand generation. So it makes me a person who fits in all areas. I'm not just doing the monitoring and evaluation, but I will look at the data and think through it, mm-hmm. look at the training that we've mm-hmm. done, is there anything that we are seeing in the data that requires us to do more in the training? What What's the data telling us to do? So for me, it will not just end there. I'll probably go into the, into the training materials, mm-hmm. look through them and just see if there's anything that we are missing. Why are we getting these the results? Okay. And also, well, sometimes, because you're working in in um in in the communities like where people are living, you want to look at ways in which you're going to communicate certain things for them to be able to understand. so I also do find myself participating in that and more interestingly, these days I found myself um I found myself reviewing codes because we are we are we are Applying technology to our data systems. So that's a very interesting area that I found myself in. And if anybody asked me when I was beginning this journey what I thought it would look like mm-hmm. five, six years from now, there are certain things that I never imagined, like the digital health aspect of it. Okay. Which is very interesting. Sure. interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah. So a typical day is really anything. Sometimes I'm I'm in the screening room helping the providers to navigate the electronic tools. Uh-huh. Sometimes I am sitting in meetings, and at times I'm sitting in my I'm in my I'm on my desk. So. There's no typical... There's no typical day. Yeah,
0: no typical day. <laughs> wow, so it's flexible, it's adaptable, it's as needed, and you're using... I'm also hearing that you use multiple skills from different roles. It's yeah. not just... Even though your role is primarily M&E, you are also taking that data and using it on, in other things. Um, I have a more follow-up question. You said reviewing codes. Codes in
1: what? <laughs> so when, when the digital tools are being designed, mm-hmm. they, they, they are coding for it to be able... to To work work, yeah yeah. for you to be able for instance if you want certain calculations then you have to input a code which is going to allow the system to manipulate all the data that is there Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to come up with a result that you want to be seeing. so
0: so this is like is this like an app or like how is how are these people doing it like i'm thinking because i also uh i think Leading up to this podcast, we'd had a couple of spaces where we're talking about different things. I think the first Twitter space I hosted, we talked about what is public health. And then i had asked around a couple of, like I sent out a survey where I was asking people what people are interested in. And the thing that had the most interest was actually, and I did a follow-up space on tech and data in public health. And there was just a huge interest. And what I found interesting was there's also a huge interest from people who work in tech who have no background, in health or science or anything and they I've also heard this term of like data is kind of like sexy and the kinda you know, the current thing right now. But people are also thinking about data in development, data in public health, like you're saying digital health. So I think what might be helpful for the audience is to learn or to know different like technologies that are being you mentioned digital health so like if you know like the names or the different like i don't know apps that i was asking like is it an app that these providers are using
1: okay Um, what's the interface so we we have different tools that we use Mm -hmm. so for instance the most popular global goods that are available like DHIS2, Mm -hmm. open medical records Mm-hmm. So we use those global goods, but then when it comes to user interface, mm-hmm. we use apps okay. to allow a, a, a healthcare provider to input data, and then we link that to the different systems, whether mm-hmm. it's DHIS to OpenMRS. So it's... Okay. So those are the codes they, that you're yeah. Wow. So sometimes they will use... Um, web platforms if they're not but then because we are we're doing this access. work in areas that that, uh, that do not have good internet connectivity so these apps help us to mm-hmm. allow users to, to do their work offline mm-hmm. yes yeah. so with the um, interpretation or, or reviewing of codes i i usually play the role the middleman between the, the technical team the software developers And Mm. the clinical team. Ah. So I'm assisting the software developers whose business is really to just write those codes, design. I help them to communicate the information to the clinicians who are also just thinking about... Experts in their own right. Yeah, they're also just thinking about the clinical flow. My patient comes in, I, I register them, mm-hmm. I ask them what kind of screening method they want, they choose what they want. So the clinician will use a kind of language which the software developer may not understand. So I am there as the middleman to facilitate communication mm-hmm. between the two. So it, it comes with, develop, with developing, coming up with a lot of documents that both parties are going to understand. It's like a new language. Yeah, it is like a new language. I can
0: imagine. Yeah, so
1: sometimes the the clinician says, I wanted to know how many people I screened with um, HPV tests who had a positive result, but this is not what I'm seeing on the electronic system. Mm. So what that would require is to review the codes. Did they get...
0: What are they pulling
1: out? Exactly. What are they giving
0: So that's, out? yeah. Wow. I hope you now have data experts on, <laughs> on your profile <laughs> as you should because I think that's a different, right? It's one thing, like you're saying, for the software designers to actually write code and, and set systems up. It's another thing to set systems up that work for the user yeah. in a way that
1: preser- like provides and presents the results in a useful output. Yeah, and because... There has to be someone who understands the users uh-huh. and so, so that you, you are able to tell that this particular product will be used because if there's no utilization, then there's, there's, there was no need to invest in it in the first place. That's so it really is a bit complicated. But sometimes we feel like just because we apply technology to a certain um, workflow, there's going to be an uptake from the users. It doesn't always work that way. Mm. And then also there's the aspect of testing all these products. So that's the time where you really have to review codes and all because you You have to try it out. Yeah, you have to try it out before you pass off the work. Wow. So I didn't know that I would find myself in this space. Uh And I don't think it's a space that I went into knowingly. knowingly, But
0: you're here. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm
1: here. So at some point I actually had to do a short course on health informatics, just so that right. I'm on top of things. So okay. that's one of the things. With this space, you have to be very open-minded. Mm-hmm. You have to be fast learner. You have to be open to learning. You have to be innovative. Your days are not the same.
0: No they're not <laughs> no so right your wow, days are not the is, same that and that's that's you know depending on people right that could be exciting and, and for some people you know they might just want to be in the back end doing what <laughs> needs to be done you know, and then some people like You know, it sounds like, for me, it sounds like you're very busy. (laughs) Just hearing, I'm like, wow. You really have to be ready. I'm like, today you wake up, you're you're taking a health informatics course. Tomorrow, you're talking to clinicians and you're trying to explain to them these things, right? And then maybe the following day, you're talking to people the Minister of Health. Yeah, and sometimes it it can
1: be as basic as helping a woman and a man in a location, sitting outside their house, telling them, what it means to have an HPV positive result. Mm -hmm. So you have to find the simplest way Mm -hmm. of explaining it. And that's um, if I was to share one of my interesting pieces of work, Mm -hmm. it was helping communities to interpret data. Because most of the time we feel like when we we set up monitoring and evaluation systems, Mm -hmm. it's, it's more like a conveyor belt. From the source of the data to the decision makers, I'll put decision makers mm. in quotes, mm. to those decision makers, policy makers who are sitting... Right, so it's going up. Yes, it's going up. But we always forget about the population. Mm. We always feel like they are not able to use this information. They are not able to interact with this data. But we should always make sure that our monitoring and evaluation systems also send mm. this information back to them. Mm. And I think the COVID pandemic mm. has proved
0: pushed us. That this is very important. <laughs> right. Because look not at
1: just look us. at how the difference we were being told to wash our hands, mm-hmm. to cover our our nose and mouth, to mm-hmm. not touch our faces for a very long time. These are things that have been communicated in, in, in a lot of populations for a very long time. But mm-hmm. we have not it has not we, we have not changed our behavior. Mm-hmm. The moment people had access to numbers, figures, this number of people were infected with COVID, this number of people are in the ICU, this number of people had died, people were washing their hands. People were <laughs> using masks.
0: We were making informed decisions.
1: Exactly. So when we talk about data for decision making, we mm-hmm. shouldn't just think about it. Who are the decision makers? Exactly. Yeah decisions Everyone. in health begin at individual yeah. level so if we're talking about data for decision making it should be we should begin with individuals Our yeah. yeah so those are some of the things that we have to make sure happen with everything that we're doing so if we're developing an information system how are we also ensuring that this information the gets to the population can
0: also be used can be used by more people than just I guess as people like public health people in the field or like you say the top decision makers wow that's that's definitely something yeah covid <laughs> covid i remember like at the beginning of covid and i would get questions from like family members from people who are not necessarily in health and uh, yeah you're right it is very important to learn how to communicate these like public health concepts to people who are not at all invested right yeah like, why why should i cover why should i wear a mask why should i be six feet apart so like there's this virus and we know that it's being spread this way so like all of that and then we have the numbers so data sounds like what you're saying is like data is is, is important but it's merely like a, not a tool but it's it's only a vehicle of information so once it's been communicated like once it's we've collected it we need then need to there's extra steps yeah, right extra beyond steps
1: we, we need to identify who needs to have access and move just move away from thinking the only people who should have access to this data are the technocrats right Right,
0: because technically, it's, yeah, we're just—you're right. We're we're just helping the public, right? Mm-hmm. The public in public health. Well, yeah, some, so
1: it's, something it's think about. actually an empowerment tool. Mm-hmm. We were empowered to act mm-hmm. on COVID prevention through the data that we, we we were able to access. Right. And that's what that's what public health really is about. People taking action over their own health. Mm-hmm. But what are we doing to, to in that. to make sure that happens?
0: I know. wow, that's a really cool definition of public health. It's like empowering people to make um, decisions to act on their health. Yeah. Huh. Wow, so many definitions. I think at the end of this season I'm going to <laughs> pull all these definitions from different people and make like a poster or something and yeah, see what it looks on like. What it,
1: what it means and what it looks like to different people. Right. And it's I feel it's shaped by the the different experiences that we have. Okay. Because there's also the aspect of yes, people have access to this data and it's empowering them or enabling them to make decisions or to empower them to act on their health. Then you start thinking about, okay... Let me think about where the environment in which yeah, all this so, yeah. is it's taking thing place. It's one to be able
0: to want to make those decisions, but do I have the
1: mask? Exactly. Right. What, what environments are people making these decisions? Right. Okay. Fiona's acting mm-hmm. on the information that she has received. Ah. And she's in an environment where she's able to buy a mask. She has access to clean water, to wash her hands. She has soap. But then there's someone else out there who doesn't. Mm-hmm. So there's also that area
0: or even if they do like the example you used of like sitting down with a man and a woman and interpreting the hpv positive result is like sometimes people want to act on the data but they don't know what it means or they don't know what to do with that so there's still need
1: for help at every step of the way yeah so that help is the different areas of public health health promotion. There's so much matching, work to do. There is
0: so much work to do. <laughs> oh my gosh, it just doesn't end. It doesn't end. We don't just collect the data. We have to collect the right data from the right people in the right way.
1: Yeah, and that's, for me, that's where the frustrations come in because okay. sometimes there isn't room for you to do the things that you know you need to do. Mm-hmm. It's it's very difficult because maybe you're working on a, on a project that is focusing on providing testing kits mm-hmm. and setting up screening sites but then you can't go as far as having the important conversations with your target population so you are you are looking at your figures you're not your, your screening coverage is still low mm-hmm you have all these things on your on your on your on your plates that you need to to do you've done them but then there are other things that you know need to be done but they're not within the scope of your
0: your project your, or, your,
1: yes okay. and then of course you may look to other partners that are doing the same things but mm. there's always something that's needed that no one else is doing so that's where it gets mm. frustrating and in this space the projects are time sensitive, hmm. so you have no choice but to just keep on doing the things that you that that you can do, knowing fully well that there's certain things that are needed that you can't do. So that that gets really really frustrating.
0: Yeah, it kind of reminds me when I was when I was working on my project in Zambia and we are doing health work, was planning for pedi- pediatrics and trying to get all these. Um, you know, trying to make a case and to understand what's actually happening on the ground for training of pediatric providers. And then you go and you do these TI assessments. And then you realize, yes, we, there is a need for, you know, more nurses who know how to care for neonates, right? Because mm-hmm. neonates are dying. And that's a very important thing. But guess what? We also need nurses for ob guy. <laughs> <laughs> we we yeah. also need generally more general nurses so that all these specialist nurses have more free time. To do the specialized work that they can do, so like it's like it's almost like opening a Pandora's box. You you find one thing wrong, but then there's like, oh my god! (laughs) it's Like, what do we do? So there's just oh, you're right that there's always, and sometimes like for me at least, sometimes that can be overwhelming, and it can feel like, especially with like when we're doing the pediatric workforce planning, I was just like, kids are important, kids are important, kids are important, like care for babies, like, and babies are dying before the third day or the fifth day, but then you realize there's. So much more that's wrong, and I'm just like, when are we gonna solve all of
1: it? <laughs> exactly, Right, it can feel overwhelming. There's really you know? so much to be done. Wow, yeah, no, I agree, I agree with that as well. But,
0: um, yeah, no, you've just been talking about so many good things. Um, I'm not even sure which direction to take it, but I let's go back to you mentioned when you were talking about that there's no typical day, and that for you, it just it really depends in that even though your primary role is data in the M&E work, you end up pulling from other work experiences. So you said you have like, wow, which is amazing, like over 10 years of work experience, right? What has been like, yeah, I guess looking back into your 10-year career, starting from that day where, you know, um you, you ended up having to carry that child till today, what has been your favorite thing about working in public health?
1: I'm never really bored. There's always... Mm-hmm. There's always something new and the learning never ends. Okay. So that would definitely be
0: You're continuously learning. Yeah, that
1: would be my high. And
0: what okay, so it sounds like we talked about a very important like experience in terms of like that case with the baby has been very motivational. So that I think for me that's like your birth story, right, into public health. What keeps you going during yeah, what makes you keep going? Like, it sounds like you've had multiple experiences, and like, for example, when you moved from more development, general development, to like more specific health, and even in health, you mentioned community health, you mentioned other works. What even in even the kind of like challenges or like frustrations of like figuring, realizing that there's more work to be done. What motivates you? Because sometimes it can be demotivating, right? Sometimes you can, you know, you find out there's many more cases that are yet to be screened that you're not able to do within this timeline. So, what, what keeps you going? What keeps you going in public health? That's a very interesting question.
1: I would say that just knowing that there's really, even, even if there's so much to be done, mm-hmm. but whatever it is that we're doing, I'm able to see results from it. Like for instance, if the, the screening coverage is low and then I look at the the number of women that came in that had precancerous lesions and mm-hmm. have been treated a year later they come back and their HPD test is, is negative, mm-hmm. that will keep me that, that keeps saved. me going because even just one person, it's like mm-hmm. one person who is saved, you be you you I tend to feel okay, we are making a difference. The opposite is Sometimes somebody comes in it's a bit and it's already late. A mm-hmm. week later, they are no more. And then mm-hmm. now you begin to feel, why haven't we been doing this for a long mm-hmm. time? Yes. So just the fact that so many people would have lost their lives had it not been for the work that we're doing is motivating. It's
0: proof of concept almost.
1: Right? Exactly. But of course, there are times when the motivation is really not there. I guess I have learned the art of Finding the motivation, Mm. like learning something new. Okay. Venturing, every time I've I've felt like that, I venture into something new, like identifying a place, a a space that I am not um, so technically sound. Then I start learning.
0: Like the health informatics. Exactly.
1: So when I find my, when I get to a place where I'm able to to accomplish that, it, it motivates me. Okay. That that, yeah, that really, I
0: guess, keeping yourself busy and active. Okay, so that applies even across other fields, right? So you can't just, I guess you have to be active in in your career as well. You can't just keep in the trenches and doing the day-to-day. That can get boring. You're right. You're right. And um, let's talk, I guess kind of going with the learning new things and always trying to find things that excite you. Uh, can you talk a little bit, another thing I've been thinking with the podcast, or at least what I'm trying to do is to get as many people from as different backgrounds and different areas that have gotten into public health. So you already mentioned that you did your undergrad and then you got your master of science in public health promotion. So we know that. I was curious if like your background, your undergrad, was that in a, because unfortunately my last three guests have all been science. Which is great. And I think that tends to be a, a general like... Did you also do a science background?
1: I was in the School of Humanities and Social Yay. Sciences. Yay! <laughs> I was like, I really hope I get a guest who's not. So, my, my undergraduate major was Development Studies with a nice. minor in Public okay. Administration.
0: Yes. Wow. So. Okay. So, you did Development Studies. That's good to see So, okay. Yes. All my Development Studies people. Because last time when I hosted the Twitter Space, that also happened. I had a panel of like seven people. I think two of two or three of them were medical doctors I had a bunch of PhD people in epi and stats and all of that. And I had people DM me and they're like, whoa, I did sociology. What about, can I work in public health? Right? So the answer is yes. The right. answer is yes. The answer is yes. And you know, you had a public health, a public administration and development studies, and then you did your MSc. Yeah. And now you're reviewing codes. Exactly. <laughs> so you can always continuously learn. That's the takeaway. Okay. Uh, okay. So now we know the skill set that you kind of like walked into in public health with and what you've been learning as you go, what skills do you think if let's say there's an intern on your team, let's say, yeah, let's say you're talking to a 20 year old who's looking to, or you're talking to someone who is 35, 40 and looking to pivot into public health. What are the top three things that you would recommend that they invest their time or their education or their self tutoring to learn or what skills you have you found to be very
1: important and useful? Okay. So the most important skill for me has been being able to harness relationships. Okay. I say this because even when it comes to you know you know as I say, there's no typical day. So I find myself with tasks that requ- that require skills that I don't that, you don't. that don't I don't have and how, the question is, how have I been able to do that? Through the relationships that I've built with people that I work with in my office, people mm-hmm. that I work with in the ministry, mm-hmm. then I'm able to get those things done. Mm-hmm. I learn from them or I'm able to get someone who, who has... Yeah, awesome. I've, I've, I've identified skills in someone and we do the work together. So that has helped, of mm-hmm. course. Of course, for, for you to find yourself in this space, you would have mm-hmm. done... Um, the right studies and all right. but that's to not get into the door but exactly. it doesn't end there but it doesn't end there so that's that will come first mm, okay. relationships mm-hmm. and communication I'll put those together relationships right. and communication and secondly it's being innovative and open to learning because nobody ever tells you how to do certain things. Half the time, you have to figure it out. Mm-hmm. So if you're not innovative, you're not open to learning, mm-hmm. you'll be frustrated most okay. of the time.
0: Wow. So interesting. I do, <laughs> that's like the complete opposite of me. But I, <laughs> I guess it depends also. My work is also very like... We're, I'm in diagnostics, So we're testing. We're doing COVID tests. Mm-hmm. I feel like I find my current work streams to be very um not typical but like if there's no there's only so many ways you can do an antigen test exactly (laughs) but you are right to a certain extent like at a higher level beyond just like you know clinicians swabbing a test and right there is some there is innovation in thinking how do we get more people to sign up how do we get people to want to do this yeah and that's outside of just like the generic science or the generic like structure of it so
1: and you just reminded me one of uh, my work experience in 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 zambia we we were looking we were looking at the data that we had and what we were seeing was that there wasn't a clear distinction between a miscarriage Mm -hmm. and an abortion Mm. no 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 a miscarriage and a stillbirth wow a miscarriage Mm -hmm. and a stillbirth Mm -hmm. yeah so when we looked at the data
0: and what was the why couldn't you how was it being coded like
1: it looked because that, that information was being, it was, it was community health data. Okay, all right. So, what we were seeing was that there was something wrong with the data between the stillbirths and, and the, the miscarriages. miscarriages. Okay. So, we were struggling with that. So, during the training, we were going through the, the, the tools that they were using. And then one of the women said, The reason why this is not clear for so many people is the way you have defined it. You need to. You need for us. We have a way in which we understand if if it's a stillbirth, like it's a child. Mm-hmm. Had it, it would have it, even if like if the child well, or
0: mentally, like it's actually physically like, yes. grown enough to exactly.
1: Be, and then the miscarriage is like usually it's just like by yeah. Blood. So they were like, right. it's the way it's the way you described. We described it by by months. So we were telling them if it's above is it six months Mm, It's
0: still yeah Mm. but then
1: for them they were like if you call it this then they will know and put and record accordingly Mm -hmm. so you see you should you should always like what i've learned in this space is always be open to Mm. other people's ideas other people learning from from other people so and it has really worked for me because i think i've spent i think i've spent most of my work in in rural areas and i've gotten a lot of insights on best practices from mm-hmm. the beneficiaries of the programs themselves mm-hmm. so this is learn being open to learning is not just
0: people concord, like above you yeah no mm-hmm. but the,
1: across the space oh,
0: wow that's now I'm just like, I'm like, now I want to go look at miscarriage. like, <laughs> what is the definition? I, and it's, it's so interesting because this is currently a whole conversation, right? With the whole, at least in the American context, the whole Roe v. Wade is back up. and Yeah. Right. So it's it's really interesting thinking about, well, this is how the government and technocrats and people are talking about it. But how are people, how do people on the day-to-day
1: exactly. think of it? What's the interpretation of the whole conversation?
0: Yeah, and that's different. I can imagine if I was looking to have a baby and I got pregnant and miscarried by the definition it started with at four months, I might still look at that as a stillbirth, yeah. right? From my experience, not necessarily from some WHO definition, right? <laughs> yeah. Wow. So so then the person who comes and asks me, right? Depending on how they're defining this, how I'm defining
1: it. Exactly. So what's
0: the data telling us?
1: So is the data telling us what it's supposed to be telling us?
0: We don't even know. <laughs> yeah we don't know yeah and that may be different for someone who aborts and I know in, in also I don't know the in Zambia what it's like but I know in other countries where if abortion is illegal some countries there are countries where doctors will just do provide the abortion illegally but then they'll record it as a miscarriage intentionally right so that they can protect that patient yeah so that will the data ever be able to tell us that we don't know we don't know <laughs> But maybe if we ask the right questions <laughs> yeah. and we have the right terms and we have the right language right, yeah. for them,
1: maybe it maybe it would. Wow. So okay. see, this is where people who the non-scientists actually do come in because they would help. They would th- understand the context. Yeah, which is, a, which is very important. Yeah,
0: I'm de- definitely, the blind spot for me there, but my background <laughs> is all science. So definitely, yeah, I would not be the most helpful in, in coming up with the language and even the buckets in the tool. Yeah. I can structure it, the tool, but I wouldn't be able to say, why are we calling this, this? That will need more work. You're right. Okay, so you said relationship slash communication, and this was around innovation. Do you have another skill or thing you think is very important in the field?
1: Third one. Oh, I was supposed to give a third one. I'll leave it at two.
0: Right, no, the innovation one, I feel like I'm gonna have to sleep on that one. <laughs> Where am I being innovative in my public health? <laughs> Nana, why are you calling me out? I just do what I do, okay? <laughs> I'm doing my best.
1: <laughs> no, you, you, you just—I guess you just haven't thought about it, right? Because you are too deep into whatever you're right, doing I to do even realize like, that you're being innovative. That's
0: true. That's also a thing. And I think you're right that yeah, you really—I think a lot of the conversations so far has really challenged me in thinking about what it means for us public health people as we're really technocrats. You're right. So as technocrats, how are we thinking of the people? Like, who are we doing this public health work for? Yeah. I think. Um, and how are we doing it? Like yeah, so that's wow I'm learning so much guys. It's not even for you. Yeah, because you know
1: it's there (laughs) there are certain there are certain interventions Uh that we implement to us they make sense. Mm -hmm. And we feel this is this this is the game changer. For example, when you say every woman who's coming to Antinental Clinic Mm-hmm. should come with their partner. Mm-hmm. It makes sense you get to you get, treat
0: the mom, you treat the you talk to the dad.
1: Yeah, the tests for HIV and all that. But we don't realize that that creates discrimination mm. because it's not every woman who's pregnant who has a partner. Hmm. So you end up discouraging.
0: If I'm pregnant and I don't have a partner, I don't know the father of my child.
1: I would not want to go for for antenatal because I'll be the only one without a partner. Or I'm a small house slash side piece. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So you know, once you understand that we're living in a society where there's Uh a lot of women that are having children... social partners. Exactly. Yeah. Where where is their space in this intervention? So this is where it really becomes important to have the non-scientists mm-hmm. in the space to help us navigate these societal dynamics
0: so we need to yeah we need to <laughs> run our interventions by other people so that they make sense or even more important, like you're saying ask the beneficiaries of these programs yeah. if they if it actually makes sense to them no you're actually right you're absolutely right okay so you, we've talked about schools you have skills you recommend people to really focus on and um, um, I think we are wrapping up now, so maybe you could talk about. I think we've covered challenges. You've talked about like you know feeling over like sometimes it can be overwhelming because there's just so much work to do, and you know time sensitive and like you know coming across things that we feel like you know we could have caught this earlier kind of thing. Uh, any other maybe? Let's before we jump into like word to the wise. Maybe if you have any other, I guess yeah. This is my favorite question, which is, what do you what do you know about public health now that you
1: wish you had known earlier?
0: <laughs> is there anything that you, you there, know now that you there like...
1: is a lot. Uh huh. I didn't know that the public health space is very multidisciplinary. Okay. That yes. there's mm-hmm. almost there's space for almost everyone. everyone. Every skill can and be. And people
0: don't believe me when I tell them this. Every Listen skill can guys. be applied, <laughs> right? Okay.
1: You can work in a bank mm-hmm. and come and work. In, and come and work in, in public health oh. with the, utilizing Sorry. the skills from the bank. Mm-hmm. So that's the one thing that I didn't know. I would have probably made the move earlier, earlier than than mm. I actually did if okay. if I had known that. Right. Okay. Yeah.
0: So this is for all the people out there who are like, ah, but me, I already started accounting. There's no way I can be public health. This is for you. (laughs) There's still hope. Yeah. You can come and do all the accounting for the finances. Definitely. There's definitely room for that. So, okay. So it doesn't matter. It's multidisciplinary and um, everyone is open to join. Okay. And what would you tell, I guess, as like closing remarks from you? Maybe if you could tell us... um, what would you tell like a younger version of yourself if this can be specifically about working in public health or just a little bit more reflective thinking about you know where you started your career and you know all the moves you've done now um like what you know what would be your like three top tips or two top two tips like what would you tell a younger version of yourself starting a career in development or starting a career in public health?
1: Well, I would tell a younger me to keep it going because I feel there's been a, a moments where I probably felt I'm done. Mm-hmm. What what can I go into? What more mm-hmm. can I do in this in this space? So, I, I did not allow my maybe I did not allow myself or give myself an opportunity to explore what was out there. Mm-hmm. So because my options my options were limited due to lack of information at that time. Mm-hmm. So right now I would tell a younger me to explore explore during the early stages of my career. Mm. Yeah, definitely I would tell myself that and to just keep it going. Cuz I actually thought at some point I really wanted to study medicine. Mm-hmm. I I did math chemistry, biology, and physics. Wow. All levels. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I decided, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. Right. And I went and enrolled in School of Humanities and Social Sciences. But at that point, because I had not explored other areas that I could, like I could still be in health. Mm-hmm. I did not explore those other areas for me to know that I could actually still function in this space. Right. Okay. So if I had explored more, probably Beautiful. I would have gotten into this
0: clinical care at yeah, some point.
1: Yeah, or just in the public health space in earlier than I. Than you already. then you ended up doing.
0: That's a good point, point. and yeah. that's part of why, I actually, honestly, I started this podcast. Is like. The, the, this explore part for me is really where Utano Public Health just comes in because I really wanted people to hear this from other people <laughs> from other people who look like them who have backgrounds similar to them who have interests similar who also, you know, didn't have a STEM background or, you know, um, didn't do like because if I it would, you know I didn't even know the, the word public health you know, until well into my 20s <laughs> Right. So, and whenever I would try to like, they just wasn't even exploring is important. And I agree with you on that. But even as I tried to explore, I still wasn't coming. I wasn't getting what I wanted or was looking for. There just wasn't enough, I guess, buzz around it or enough talk about it for me to, you know, to just immediately. I feel like if the moment you say... I want to make money, right? If you tell Alexa or you tell Google, (laughs) I want to make money, right? There's this list of things that pops up. But at least for me growing up, especially in Zim, there wasn't like, and also part of it is technology and hopefully with the internet, things are better. But like part of it was just like, I didn't even know what to say to be able to explore. <laughs> there wasn't even like... Yeah, two... you don't
1: even know what to look for. I don't know direction. what to look for and yeah, which direction true.
0: to look for. So that also then kind of like put me in boxes in terms of my career paths and the things I could choose. It was... It obviously then became whatever was in front of me. And it turned out great eventually. It always does for everybody.
1: But <laughs> Yeah, you know, <laughs> but... we all, we all <laughs> grow up thinking if you want to... Work in health, you should be a nurse.
0: A doctor, right? A doctor. Yeah, mm-hmm. those are the only options. And I think that's what I was met with as well. It was just like, oh, you're, you're doing science is A-level medicine. And there, there was not room for anything else. And even when I tried to be like, no, but I, I, I remember telling my biology teacher A-level. Because we had like paper one, which was the, the science. And we had like four papers for exams. And the paper four was called... Um, it was like called optional or something like that, where you take two topics that were non technical. And one of it was like world, world science or mm-hmm. something like that. And you would talk about, what was it? Yeah. And I remember defining health in that, in that um, mini module, basically, where we define health as like the WHO definition of like complete. Health is, you know, mental, physical, emotional well-being of people. And I remember going to my biology teacher and being like, I really like whatever we're doing in this area. This idea of like, I loved the biology. I loved the cell structure and all of that. But I loved connecting it to this larger. And he couldn't help me. He was like, yeah, that's great. (laughs) But he couldn't guide me to say, okay, this interest you have this is exactly. where you could take it to.
1: So looking back, it was an opportunity. That was for an opportunity to, to be focus. like, oh,
0: there's this field called public health where you could actually take this definition, and I was like, but, and I remember them being like, but who gets like, why is it WHO is the one that gets to define for us what is health, right? Yeah. And it didn't even matter because after that, you just get your results slip way. <laughs> <low. laughs> Right?
1: <laughs> and progress
0: and you progress with your life, so there wasn't yeah there wasn't much room for exploring, but you're right I think exploring definitely helps and maybe like having a curiosity
1: yeah
0: a willingness to just there's but then more again let you me can be it.
1: curious but if you if you don't have the basic information it will not land you yeah in certain areas So keep looking it's, you just have to keep keep looking well, keep i guess keeping. with platforms like utano it will help people to get a different perspective from different people yeah Yeah.
0: absolutely no thank you thank you so much for that um yeah, so uh, I think we're at the end, but I don't know if you have anything you wanted to plug or share. Whether I don't know if you have any personal... It doesn't have to be about public health, but if you wanted to share any website or any work you're doing, or maybe you want people to go to the website for cervical cancer screening, whatever it is, like your closing plug or shout-outs,
1: feel free to do them now. Okay, so when I... When I, I think that was last year. When I was when I reached the ten year mark of my career, I decided I wanted to give back in some way. So I I enrolled to volunteer as a mentor with an organization called Visible Women. Mm. So it would be an interesting. It would it's a good thing for young people who are just starting out in their career to just get some insights on some of the things that a lot of us didn't do when we were there. And now we are giving back, mm-hmm. so you can just search for visible women Zambia. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And I'm
0: definitely gonna look
1: them up. Be able to see different oh, insights. Wow. Share. I'm
0: gonna reach out to them and share them this episode. <laughs> like, look at one of your visible women. <laughs> no, that's a really great platform, and that's one of another things like I said I've been thinking about. Like, how can we get? Up- Wotano uh, Public Health just listen to by the people we, you know, my target audience is a young audience and people who need this mentorship you're talking about. So, yes, uh, I will plug Visible Women. I'll put a link in the episode um, description. Okay, yeah. And the website as well so people can get to listen to it. But, Thank you so much, Nana. This has been so much fun. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I've learned so much from you today, and I think this was such a deep episode. <laughs> I'm looking forward to like editing it and sharing it with everyone else. But thank you everyone for listening. This has been Utano Public Health Chats with your host Fiona, and our guest for today was Nangandu. Thank you. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.